Welcome back to another episode of Space and 60 with me, Clint Grauman, and... And welcome, Andrew Polipchuk. Andrew Polipchuk. The chat is down. Down for the count. Oh, that's too bad. He's out, not feeling great, but I'm sure he'll be back for the next episode. For sure. So, man, we've had a lot of exciting stuff happening in the industry over the last week or so. By the time you hear this episode, it'll be a few weeks back, but... First ever private crew to the International Space Station. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And there's a Canadian on board. Yeah. Hooray, Canadian. Canada. <laughs> yep. Canadian. Canada. Yeah. Canada is really <laughs> working on their space program lately. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it takes. Let's get more Canadians up there. Yep. Absolutely. We had, you've had some really notable Canadians in space. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the most popular, sure. Chris Hadfield. Absolutely. But yeah, I think, you know, this has been a banner last 12 months or year or so with private space flight orbiting for several days, first private group going to the International Space Station. Like, I'm not sure what's next other than the next private trip to the moon. Uh, and then private trip to, to Mars. And then we've got total recall and we're all going to be like Arnold <laughs> and goes on and on and on. But yeah, all sorts of exciting stuff. Uh, what SpaceX's Rideshare 4 went up. This yep. month as well. I mean, their fourth one, that's progressing well. Excited to see that. Yeah, lots of great spacecraft were launched with that one. Yeah, there's just been a ton of really cool stuff. Space Symposium was last week. Mm-hmm. Everyone I talked to said it was an amazing show. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go this year, but everyone who was anyone other than me was there. And me. And you. Normally we're there. Great show, but... One of the things that, you know, I think that is really great about Space Symposium this year, it was back in full force. Everyone was there. The space industry's back. You know, the pandemic gave us a pretty tough hit, but I think everyone was really pleased to be back in event status. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if the space industry went away during COVID. Maybe just didn't get to see everybody all the time. Yeah, for sure. But this week on Space and 60, we've got a guest that has certainly been around the industry for quite some time. You've probably seen her on BBC. You've heard her on BBC Radio. She's an author, written several books, screenplays, all kind of really amazing media. She's at Boffin Media, and I can't wait to introduce you to our next guest, Sue Nelson. And let's welcome Sue. Sue, it's great to have you on the show, Space and 60 today. Thank you. My age. <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got Andrew on the show as well today. Good morning, I guess. Good yep. afternoon for Sue. Yeah, or good evening, practically. Yeah, quite there frankly. we go. Yeah, yeah, Almost yeah. wine o'clock, as the Brits say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have beer 30 on this side. <laughs> It's awesome to have you on the show, and we couldn't wait to jump into a conversation and learn about everything that you've been doing in space. You've actually got some really cool highlights through your career that I can't wait to ask you about with a personal connection of mine. So I'm actually not a real connection. I don't want to oversell that one, but but I I can't wait to ask about. Yeah, take a minute and tell us and our listeners about you in the space business. 
Well, it's funny because I don't consider myself in the space business, but when you put it like that, I suppose I am. I've been working in space, doing reports on missions and space science for probably 30, 40 years. And I started specializing in science and obviously space is a, is a part of that because you've got your missions could be anything from measuring the thickness of the ice from a satellite above the arctic it could be something to do with astronomy it could be botany it could be chemistry and my background's physics and i've always been into space i'd written to nasa when i was 13 years old asking them how i could become an astronaut and they were really quite kind in their reply because they didn't point out out that A, I was British, so there's no way they were going to let me become an astronaut <laughs> at an American space agency. And B, that I was female, because at the time I wrote, women were not allowed in NASA's in the mid-70s into their astronaut corps. They didn't let women in until the late 70s. So that interest was always there, that and a love of Star Trek. I totally, you know, love science fiction. And then as the more I did space reports, particularly when I worked for the BBC as a science correspondent, you know, TV news, you get amazing pictures and obviously the best pictures are the space pictures. So I just did find myself gravitating towards, no, no, yes, I, I yes, I, yeah, I'll do the cloning one. After I've done that cloning thing, maybe I could just do this mission, this mission that we're doing. So I, I was kept trying to veer it towards doing um, space stories. And, and now I, I wouldn't say I do 100% space, but actually... I do do. Like today, <laughs> I've been working on a script for the European Space Agency about the Artemis mission going back to the moon. And we're putting the finishing touches to Space Boffin's podcast. I've been writing as well for um, a book about like hidden figures in astronomy, but women. And, and obviously that's all space related. So actually a large part. So it's I'm living the dream, basically. To cut a long story <laughs> short, I am living the dream. Yes, you're right. I'm living the space dream. So I have been involved in space by, you know, meeting people, organizations, businesses, huge space agencies, astronauts, scientists, engineers for a long time. And I love it. And I still love it. That's pretty fantastic, Sue. I mean, that's, I don't even know where to get started. You've touched on so many little bits and pieces throughout your, your career. Maybe tell us a little bit about Space Boffins. Oh, yeah. Well, we started that. I'm not sure the word boffin translates into, <laughs> into, American? into American. Yeah, I don't know. I'm Canadian, so I, oh, I totally sorry, understand. Sorry. But Clint, yeah, please, okay, you get Clint, it. Clint okay. won't know. <laughs> yeah, I was told it possibly had a rude connotation, but maybe somebody was just pulling my leg. In Britain, boffin just means somebody smart, somebody bright, somebody intelligent, usually means a scientist. And it's slang word. And when I worked in the um, BBC newsroom, that's all. Most news editors do not have a science background. Mm -hmm. They're mostly, you know, politics, history, philosophy, that sort of thing. Economics, if you're lucky. Space, you just, not space or science, you just don't get them. And so all they would do, I couldn't believe it. They would just say, get me a boffin on this. <laughs> get me a boffin on that. And I was really affronted to begin with. I was just like, what well, Often, don't they even know the difference between a chemist and a physicist or you know mm -hmm. and so actually the name was to like reclaim it was like it felt like a dirty word it was like reclaiming that word boffin for good so that's why we call it space boffins and we decided in 2011 it was the first year actually that the uk space agency was formed we thought god that's a, a great and we 
were going to the conference and everything, this big first space, I think it was where they had their first space conference anyway. We thought, yeah, that would be a great time to launch it because my husband and I, Richard Hollingham, he's the co-presenter. We are always, well, pre-pandemic anyway, we're always going, you know, from see satellites and clean Mm -hmm. rooms and popping over to Europe, going to the States, going to visit NASA. So we had these amazing opportunities and, and that's what we built on was then interview people much more informally than say for um, a radio documentary say that I was making or Rich was making and then use that for the podcast the sort of more the looser slightly looser version and it started 2011 say at that conference we did it we collected interviews and, and what have you and it's been going monthly ever since so it's now it was 10 years last year and 11 years this year which is astonishing really and, and I think it's been a bit, I don't know about YouTube, but during the pandemic, as for everyone, I think it's tougher because I like going out to meet people, people. and see yeah. spacecraft. And I don't even mind putting on those stupid hair nets, you know, to go into a clean room. And I'm like, just because it's interesting to go and see it for yourself. And then any cue, it's not just podcasts, it's for radio docs as well, is not just a they do this, they went here, they've done that. Because you've seen it, you've smelt it, you've mm-hmm. felt the atmosphere. Your cue then becomes, you know, there was a smell of acetone as you walked in the lab. And then you, it all of a sudden, it's much more than just their name and title. So I think it's been quite a struggle these last two years, because we've just got guests that we're not seeing the whites of their eyes we're not having that coffee beforehand where actually you know you just sort of loosen up and have a little chat with it's all very two-dimensional and while it's brilliant that we've got the technology to do this i mean you know i don't think there are certain scientists and particularly in the space industry i don't think they'll ever leave their organization ever again now for a journalist because mm. they know they can do it on on, <laughs> so on the computer yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah, so yeah. it's got its pros and cons that that's it you'll never get to meet people, certain people now face to face it will be difficult for quite yeah. a while yeah. yeah introverts will be introverts yeah yeah and the sort of put yeah i mean i'm sure you enjoy it as well it's it's lovely doing the podcast because you get to talk to who you want to talk to or obviously not in my case <laughs> and, and i meant that from you to me not the other way <laughs> but you know we've had like john glenn and a lot of the Apollo astronauts on, a lot of the European astronauts on. We did one podcast from the deck of the USS, or is it USS Intrepid, the boat off um, New York, you know, that used to collect the Apollo capsules. And we interviewed Mike Massimino, the astronaut, on, on that thing. So we've done some brilliant, you know, really great things. And that's the beauty of being a journalist as well, because you get that. It's not quite like being a celebrity because you don't get given a goodie bag, but (laughs) (laughs) your goodie bag is that you can go backstage effectively. That's so cool. You get to see. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. I mean, I've seen spacecraft you know, before, you know, the press conferences, even they've got the press on it, you know, they say, oh, you shouldn't really be seeing that because that's going, you know, that's with it. So it's, it's just great when you walk through and you see things for yourself because it's a form of exploration, I think, journalism anyway. You know, one of the, the really ironic things about you having not, quote unquote, been in the space business, you've got more experience in the space business with 30 years than most people in the space business. 
And it's actually, to be honest, I was probably trying to make myself sound younger, which is foolish, really, because I said I was 60 at the start of the podcast, (laughs) because it's probably 40 years, actually. It's probably nearer, nearer 40. But then that's been, you know, that way you see how it's changed and how it has gone from just at one point, you know, it's just NASA dominating everything to the sort of rise of ESA. And, you know, now you've got real big players in certain missions like the Japanese Space Agency, uh, heavily involved with Europe to a mission to Mercury. And you've got India in its space agency. When I was in Dubai, I went round the space agency there and they've got a Mars city. You know, they've put millions and millions of dollars into creating an entire complex that is devoted to current missions, missions to the moon and missions to Mars, which is why they've got Mars city. So, And similarly in America, seeing how some companies have fallen by the wayside as well. What's that place in California? I should know it. Sorry, I'm thinking, no, Puma, it'll it'll come to me. There's a a spaceport in California where Virgin Galactic are based near there. I know I've been several times over the last, say, 10, 20 years to this specific site And I was quite shocked the last time I went because some companies that I thought were like a dead cert, it was like, you know, a Western with the doors boarded up and closed. So some of the ones you think are the brightest stars don't always make it in the long haul. So, yeah, you do get to see quite an arc of development. It's true. I was going to say the only spaceport I know in California is Space Mountain at Disneyland. (laughs) (laughs) and i know they were renovating it so it was a bit boarded up too but uh hopefully uh we'll get back there at some point no that's so neat i i love that idea or the ability to be the backstage and i think that's going to be my aspiration now for space and 60 clint is to get us to a journalistic height where we can get backstage passes to everything Oh, absolutely. And I think that would be a great idea for, I understand you're, you're an author as well, Sue, and that would be a great idea for your next book, Backstage with Sue Nelson. That would be awesome. <laughs> I know people would love those stories. It would also be so indiscreet that I would never be allowed to write a book again because it would involve the people I've seen behave very, very badly. And you do see people behave very, very badly, as well as the fun stuff, which is the, you know, the sort of boozy, successful champagne drinks after if a mission's gone well. And space is no different to any other industries. There are rivalries and and jealousies, and it's quite fun in that way. And so a lot of the good stuff never quite makes it. Yeah. Because you'd be sued probably. (laughs) (laughs) After all, we're all just human at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's what's nice about the industry, I think, is that you meet people who love their job and you can tell that's all they will talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, outside work as well as inside. And not in a bad way either. You know, it's interesting and they enjoy it. And there's a sort of youthfulness, I think, about a lot of people within the space industry. And I think it is because they are doing something they genuinely enjoy. I'd like to learn about some of your history. You've done some work, I presume, with Wally Funk, personal hero of mine. I saw that in a lot of the work that you've done. 
I would love to hear about all of your, your background and the work and your writings with, with Wally or for Wally or about Wally. Yeah, we go back a long way, actually. I first met her in 1997 and I lived in New York in the mid 90s for a year and was freelancing as a journalist there. And there was literally like three lines in a, a newspaper and it just mentioned the Mercury 13 and the women who trained to be astronauts and had never got to space. And I'm honestly, my jaw nearly hit the floor because, you know, remember this is somebody who'd written to be to NASA as a child, wanted to be an astronaut. Right. So I knew that women hadn't been allowed, you know, when I got a bit older, that they hadn't been able to go into space when I'd written to them. So I was, I was like, why haven't I heard about this? Why don't I know about this? So I was a woman on a mission from then on, basically. I contacted the BBC and sold them a documentary on the Mercury 13 radio documentary and then tried to find as many surviving members in 1997 as I could that were around. The internet was not in a good a good right. state. Not many people even had emails. You know, it was just not that way. It was really quite an old-fashioned sort of ringing people up and finding archive material on microfiches and things like that. And I tracked down five of them and I was just really lucky that three were going to be at a women in aviation conference in Dallas, in Texas. And those three were Jerry Truehill, Sarah Rathill and Wally Funk. And so that was my sort of first port of call was to meet them. And so I met the other women separately they were, I think, friends outside of, of everything as well. And Wally, I met, she was giving a talk at, at the Women in Aviation Conference. And funnily enough, she's very similar to how she was very similar then as she is now. If anything, she's probably more energetic now, because when she came to the UK for the book tour, at one point, I was worried she was going to like fly off the stage at one point because she was bouncing <laughs> around like Tigger, just going crazy. And each time she got to the edge of the thing, the bits of the crowd were sort of going. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> it was so, and I was, I just felt like somebody stern and I was going, Wally, Wally, get back, get back, get back. <laughs> so watch it, watch it. So, and we kept in touch anyway, basically. We'd kept in touch since then. And I'd done the on interview with her. I made this documentary. It went down really, really well. I think it also got repeated on NPR and it made a lot of the papers here. Kept up with Wally. I've been slightly obsessed about finding hidden histories of women in science and space anyway during that period. And so I've made science documentaries about hidden figures in other areas, not just just the space one. I'd been trying for years to sell a documentary. I say I don't let things go. I tried to sell a book actually about it in the early 2000s, probably or late 90s after the doc had come out. And I was told that no one was interested in women's history. Mm. No one will read it. It's not of any importance. And it really bugged me. It really bugged me. So I kept trying probably for over 10 years to sell a doc on women women's history, women in space. And again, again, fought off. And each time I'd basically resubmit it, slightly worded differently with a different title, hoping I'd con them that way. And then fortunately, as it often happens, you need a changing commissioner. When you get a new broom, a new editor, a new boss, or anything like that, they come in with a fresh eye. And this guy was brilliant. And he just, he obviously, he just looked and he said, this is a great idea. 
He said, I love it. And I, I nearly fell off my chair. I spent <laughs> that long to do it. And he asked me, who are you going to interview? And I, and I named different people within the different women that I thought were really important or crucial to, to have in. And I, and I'm obviously I mentioned Wally. I said, well, I'm a member of the Mercury 13. She's the youngest. She's still going and, and really active, still flying. And then he said, yeah, she should present it. And I went, what? Because obviously knowing Wally, I thought as a producer, because I present and produce, as a producer, I thought she's unproducible. It would be like (laughs) trying to sort of produce a free range hen. It just will not work. And sure enough, actually, it was a little bit like that. And I said to him, why did you suggest her? And he said, because every time you mention her name, you smile. Yeah. There we go. And he did the right thing because she was great. You know, she'd never presented a radio program before. She took it very seriously. She's so loud. She's got, I mean, I think I, I've got a loud voice. I know I've got a loud voice. She's just makes me sound like a little mouse. <laughs> really, really shut. So you'd imagine that loud Wally voice, like, hello, even right. just hello, you know, has about five syllables in it, lasts for about 10 seconds. You, you know, your microphone's going pop, but you've got your headphones on, so you're suddenly going, ah! Right. It was quite an experience. And we travelled, you know, we went to NASA, we met various astronauts. We, in fact, we met Jessica Meyer, who then had only just qualified and had not gone into space yet. And now, of course, she did, you know, the first double female American US spacewalk and she's in the group that well she might be one of the first women to go to the moon you know so we met some cool people sort of across the area and she loved it and the, and the dock went down a storm so we made another one we made one called women with the right stuff I think and first woman on the moon so we made two together where she came to stayed at my house and we went to Europe we went to the European Space Agency we did stuff in America too because she bought a ticket with Virgin Galactic before Jeff Bezos stole his thunder (laughs) that was funny stole his thunder and, and sort of trumped it all we went to new mexico to the spaceport there to see where you know we everyone thought this was where she would eventually go to space from because she bought her ticket with virgin galactic so it was uh, an amazing sort of odyssey. I mean, somebody, people have described it as a Thelma and Louise because we are often a lot traveling in a car to go and bickering uh, right. about things. But I wanted, I didn't want to do a conventional biography because A, I thought it would be boring. B, she has a tendency to gild the lily, shall we say, Let's <laughs> as politely as I can. <laughs> She's a lovely woman, but, you know, I have to have it correct, you know, so... Right. Keep, keep, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, did it, oh, did it really, Wally? Did it, <laughs> and I wanted all the fun bits of her where she's really, she can be infuriating and stubborn, but then so can I. She can be really funny and so kind and then so sort of brusque and not realize what she said. And I sort of wanted all that in because I thought you will only get all this stuff that really gives an idea of the whirlwind of a personality she is if you hear these bits. Right. Yeah. And that's and such a great highlight to, to her career. But I wanted all of that aspect because she's got such an ebullient, outrageously extrovert, complex personality. I thought if we didn't get 
all the fun stuff of us bickering, but also of her being very revelational just when I'd be preparing her dinner. And she loved that, just simple things like that, because she didn't often get people cooking for her, hmm. buy her favourite food and just cook for her. And then she would start talking, remembering things about her parents. And she did ask me to write her biography when we were on a train going to Paris. I turned her down and she had a little bit of a bottom lip quiver. And I explained why. I said, I, I want to get all of the bits of you and, and our adventures and travels because I felt they showed the Wally that is quite extraordinary because I think yes you could read about her achievements and you would still think wow this woman's amazing but then when you hear that you know for instance we were in a car in I think Florida I think and we stop off at a traffic light and she looks to her right and there's some picture of a crocodile and she just turns to me and she went I wrestled a crocodile once it's <laughs> like what and then just starts talking about you know a trip she'd had in Africa or something it was a much more intimate portrayal and I know she did get to do what she'd always wanted which was to have a biography in her own words as well with with Loretta Hall who's a lovely woman and you know that's great they're two companion pieces I think yeah mine's mine's a much more intimate road trip a lot of humor in it, I think, because she is such a funny woman. Yeah, you're, you're so fortunate to have had that opportunity to work so closely with her. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, it, it's exhausting. It could be so tiring. I've never known a woman or a man, actually. I've never known anyone her age with that much energy. She's astounding. You know, this, this really sounds to me like... It needs to be a, a Hollywood film. I, <laughs> being a fan of the right stuff and First Man and and all these space movies. I mean, I think we're we're all space fanatics here. But this, oh, I just listening to to you describe her and her character. I, I would just love to see that on screen. I almost picturing writing the script being one of those. <laughs> there she is. I did get a few people in contact yeah, me about go. the film, right? And I think it's because a lot of people didn't know about her. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously when she went up with Jeff Bezos last year, a lot of people suddenly said to me, ah, I get it now. It was like they suddenly understood why I was obsessed and constantly mm -hmm. talking about Wally Funk and the Mercury 13. I think they just thought I was a bit gone off my trolley for a while, <laughs> that I just kept talking. And then they suddenly got it. But there is someone actually in, in the UK who is working on um, writing um, a musical about uh, based on the book, which is nice. But yeah, I'd love to see her in a in a film. I think, but as that, you know, not the Wally version because it'll be mm -hmm. be very different from us. <laughs> I think the real Wally, because yeah, all that complexity and and nuance and and there is nuance. Although she's so outrageous when you get her on her own, there is nuance. But I'm so thrilled that she went up. I think that was. I mean, like so many other people, I shed a tear, you know, watching her from the UK go up. And I couldn't quite believe the way in which she did it. She did it in style, of course, because she'd slightly, I think she'd fallen off an exercise ball or something. She'd slightly hurt her knee 
beforehand. And she was saying to me, oh, just before she said, oh, they haven't got a lift up to the, <laughs> up to the capsule. <laughs> she said, I'm a bit worried about those steps. She said, so I'm doing lots of strengthening exercises, you know, to make sure everything's okay. Because she has got one leg slightly shorter than the other due to, I think it was a skiing accident. And when I was watching her and I thought, and I was, you know, I hadn't told anyone about that, obviously, because I didn't want to put jeopardize any possible <laughs> chance of them saying, oh, no, you can't go up if you've hurt your knee or something like that. So I kept stum, and there she was bounding up the gantry stairs like some gazelle. Oh, sort of, yeah. You know, like practically overtaking the blokes. So I was just like, what? Well, at that point, you're just going on pure adrenaline. Yes, and sure. I just laughed and I thought that is so typically Wally that in the same way, you know, when she did wore her mother's girdle to do some of the uh, pressure tests in order to, she wanted to make sure she didn't pass out and she put it under her outfit so that no one saw her. I just thought that is just typical that you don't tell anyone, you know, she didn't make any sort of excuse for her age or her health. And what she did, she tried to do better than everyone else anywhere and get up there faster. So, yeah, that was very, very in character. For sure. You know, what other amazing or interesting characters have been part of your career? I think for me, one of the, I mean, I've met Buzz Aldrin several times and he's always interesting because his can be a very difficult character and it does depend on what mood you get him in. And I have seen him be extraordinarily dismissive of some people and also be very, very kind and patient with others. But I think for me, and it's always amazing to meet astronauts because it's like, it's like meeting members of a superhuman race. You know, you, you sort of want, well, I do anyway, you want to sort of not, you just think, oh God, they're so perfect. You know, they're really intelligent. They've got several degrees. They can dive, they can run mountains. Oh yes, I've just done a marathon. Oh yeah, no, this morning. And you just think, oh, sorry. And like the European ones, especially that are amazing. Like Samantha Cristoforetti speaks five or six languages. They're like the best of us, which is wonderful. They're the best of the human race, I think. And they are the sort of people that you want in a crisis because they keep their calm. That doesn't always make for the best interview because often the best interviews are people who slip up, right? who don't keep their calm, you know, or who blurt out something. But I think my favorite aspect in the last 20 years has got to be working with the mission scientists on the Rosetta mission, the European Space Agency mission to Comet 67P, because I sort of started quite early on with them, making the short films, going, you know, to interview the scientists. Then you learn all about all the different instruments. You get to know all the principal investigators that are on each instrument. And then they gradually get to know you because, you know, when the spacecraft gets a bit nearer to the comet, which is a couple of years later, they recognise your face again and are, and they're a bit more relaxed and, you know, things have moved on and they're getting excited. And then it gets to the day where, oh, you know, they're about to do an orbital manoeuvre. Then it's the landing. And then, you know, it's all those lovely stages that you go through with them over quite a long period of time. So that was Great. It was, a, a, I consider, a sort of personal highlight. So it wasn't just one person. It was the mission team and really enjoying it. In fact, at the end of it, I think I got some certificate, and I do love a certificate, saying, you know, like, 
contribution to the mission or something you know obviously in terms of the communication through making the, the films and doing the interviews and stuff and I I, thought, I was really touched by that because that working on that really did mean a lot and I got to know a few of them really quite well in fact I'm uh, Facebook friends with uh, Matt Taylor who is a sort of project scientist for that mission who's quite a character so I think that's it is when you get the people behind the science and behind the mission and uh, the engineers and those who are making it happen. It's that humanity. Again, you're seeing the human cost as well. You know, often they would, there would be tears in mission control room because it had, you know, it had all gone according to plan. And I think a European mission control room is quite different to a NASA one. The Europeans are getting a little bit better, you know, NASA, it's all, it's all exuberant. It's all like, woo, you know, all right. Yeah. And that, yay, and they're all fist bumping and doing that thing. And, and often with the Europe, they'd just be like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> little, little dainty clap, <laughs> you know, and a little smirk. So they're getting slightly better at doing that. Celebrating. But, you know, yeah. yeah, you do see they've become a little bit more expansive as the years have gone on yes and you do see delight and, and tears maybe not as much noise as at NASA but you know it's it's great to sort of share in their uh, achievements that's funny that's really interesting how cultures are so different it's funny to to hear the way it comes out and your time at BBC I mean for me being Canadian BBC is just such an iconic news organization any memorable moments that you can tell us about it's funny because people remember obviously the tv more because you're seen on on screen and i can do tv and it's no problem it's funny i can just look into a lens and it's it's not a problem and i i feel quite comfortable but i most enjoy making um for the bbc the radio documentaries oh yeah whether it's producing or presenting them, because you, a news piece, you've got 90 seconds. If you're lucky, you know, it might be considered a feature and they'll say, can you give me a feature? And you say, how long? One minute, 45 seconds. You know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Whereas you can make a th- sort of 30 minute documentary or a 40 minute radio documentary. And it's, um, I like that. I like the detail. I like that finding out those quirky little bits that will add something new to an often maybe perhaps well-told story so that you put a fresh eye on it. And it's only recently, literally quite recently, that I've been sort of reappraising also some of my time there, more so with the news, because I only found out a few months ago that I'm autistic. And I'd had no idea although all the clues were there, not least the sort of obsessions, <laughs> what they call them, special interests, I think, where you just get totally obsessive with certain subjects and tops and they just don't stop. And in a way, that's probably why I prefer the documentaries because A, you get to do more of it and you spend more time and you can really research and get into the subject and it can lead on to books and move on to further things, which means you spend more time then obsessively reading about something and learning about something and getting to meet all the people. It's brilliant. Whereas in news, I loathed any changing or updated story. Hmm. And yet that's what news is all about. And most news journalists I know, including my husband, 
that's what they love about it. They love being told, breaking news. Oh no, forget that piece. You've got to rewrite it and do that. And I would be livid. I'd be bloody furious. It's just like, and I would really find that change. It's like, but I've been researching this piece. I'm, I'm doing this piece. I want, you know, it's like, I want to do that. I don't want to waste the, all the stuff I've done on this. I don't want. So I would find that incredibly stressful. So I think I spent most of my time as a science correspondent. Not even, I think, I know I did because my husband tells me I did as well really stressed out. And anxiety and autism are very, very common bedfellows. So although I could do it and I did it reasonably well, I found it way too stressful than it should have been because I didn't like, <laughs> basically I was the news person who didn't like the concept of news. So what I'm doing now, I'm much happier with is getting into the nitty gritty of, of a subject and, and doing it in more depth and, and what have you. Well, as we're getting close to the end of the time here, I would love to learn about some of the things, what you're, do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to share? Well, nothing really I can sort of talk about. I have got a few exciting things. I think at the moment, it's a lot of working on missions. I've been producing since the start of the pandemic, it's not been space. I've been producing a weekly documentary with the BBC OS team on the impact of coronavirus. And so some of the interviews are from, you know, people all over the world because it's for BBC World Service. And that has been probably, even though it's not space related and has been incredibly stressful at times, because as you could imagine, you know, you're hearing, particularly early on in the pandemic, I'm sure we were all stressed out by hearing the, you know, stories from hospitals and doctors and people who were not being able to be with their loved ones when they died and what have you. But that has been something that I consider has been really worthwhile in terms of helping those people tell their stories. At the moment, I'm working on... Um, the slightly less stressful Ukraine-Russia situation. So, wow. so to be honest, I can't wait to get my teeth into another really big space story. I have got a couple of, of really, I think, really interesting ideas. But I just need to sort of write them up now. And I I'm, wouldn't say I'm superstitious because I don't, I'm not, but I don't want to say what they are until... I know they've been accepted, if you get my meaning. So for the time being, it's lots of fun stuff with the European Space Agency covering Artemis, covering the return to the moon. So that's going to be a key thing over the next couple of years, which will be great. The building of Gateway, the uh, you know lunar outpost orbiting the moon about a thousand times further away than the International Space Station. So they're probably going to be the, the sort of key things that I'll be covering. And I'm just hoping that I can come back to the States again, because we used to go two or three times a year, probably more to the States. Yeah, it'd be nice to just get back into seeing the whites of people's eyes again. And I'd like to see Wally again. I've not been able to see her in person, obviously, since the pandemic. And I will see her before this, of course, but I think in a couple of years, I think 2024, there is uh, an eclipse another eclipse. There was a great one a few years ago that I went to see in Oregon. And there's going to be another one that goes across the, mostly the Eastern bit of the States. And it literally, the path of totality goes above Wally's house. Oh, wow. In Texas. Oh, so cool. So she will be able to see a total eclipse from her back garden. That's amazing. Yeah. So 
I hope to see her before then, as soon as we can sort of sort out a, a trip that takes in in Texas. But she's a hard woman to pin down at the moment because uh, she's going here, there and everywhere. And I think the pandemic for somebody that gregarious, you know, was also quite tough. She lives on her own. So I'm delighted that she's going out and about and doing what she loves best, which is promoting space, promoting women and aviation and flying and, and enthusing the next generation of people who will work in space in whatever form that will be. You know, as I think about this, one of the interesting things that you kind of bring up there is the pandemic has almost offered an opportunity to study humans in isolation mm-hmm. for things like long-term travel to Mars or beyond. I'd, I'd be curious yes. if anybody's picked that up as, as a PhD topic. They should, because it's funny you should say that because I've always said, you know, I would love you know, if there'd been a volunteer, will you go to Mars? I would want to be one of those people. Yep. Will you spend six months? Yep, I'll do it. Now, after the pandemic, I realise, do you know what? Maybe it's not suited for me after all. (laughs) I think I would find it a bit of a nightmare, (laughs) quite frankly. I realise that I'm absolutely not astronaut material which is, you know, a bit of a personal blow. (laughs) But, oh, my goodness, you have to be a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. And you see the strengths in people, I think. You see your weaknesses. And I wrote a piece recently for BBC Future about, about being diagnosed with autism at 60. And I described it as being, because all my symptoms got worse during the pandemic, everything. And apparently lots of people, you know, understandably, all our mental health was sort of suffering. So all my little sound sensitivities went off the scale and and certain things I couldn't bear it. And it was like, I described it as like you're a hairline fracture in your psyche. The pandemic made them widen into chasms. And for some people, those people who are like mentally like bamboo, which is, as they say, isn't it? Bamboo moves with the wind and sways with the wind and it's really strong, but it bends and constantly stays upright and doesn't crash or crack or splinter. And my husband's one of those people. Absolutely. So funnily enough, although he he's terrified of space travel, even though he loves space, <laughs> he wouldn't want to go to the moon, but he's actually psychologically perfectly suited for it. And I think a lot of those astronauts, it's not surprising that they do isolation and psychological tests on them because we've all effectively undergone a psychological test of being an astronaut ourselves, as you say, yeah. during the pandemic. And not all of us pass that test. I'm definitely not one. I I found it a real struggle at times, a real struggle. Yeah, it's been a struggle for the last two years, but I think we're all starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. We've been attending some space shows recently, and we're starting to see that at these trade shows and, and fairs that, you know, we're starting to see a lot more people there, a lot more activity. Companies are finally starting to come back to the floor, and it's been really great seeing everyone again. Oh, yeah. It's also a little um, unnerving as well because you're so used to if people come close to you. And I, I tend not to like it being, you know, in Europe, people just go for your cheeks and try to smother you with kisses. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 get back, get back. Personal space, personal yeah, space. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And everyone's used to little elbow bumps, you know. You can get that little like going on the tube, you know, in London over the weekend. 
it's amazing seeing it all crowded. And part of you is delighted because it's just like, yeah, finally. But another part of you is thinking, oh, because you're so used to thinking right. crowds equals bad. You right. know, space equals good <laughs> in terms of physical space. But yes, it's going to be wonderful once it all uh, comes back. And of course, one of the side effects for the Russian-Ukraine situation has now been the sort of delay of ExoMars, which is going to be Europe's first rover on, on Mars. And I was really looking forward to doing a lot of that stuff. And that's all now just sort of on hold, pending the, the entire situation. So it's funny, you don't necessarily think of a, a war between two countries actually affecting the space industry, but actually space is so international mm-hmm. yeah it does it really does and, and has a sort of trickle down effect on quite a number of missions well as you as you start to venture back out into the industry and as your projects start to come to fruition especially with lunar gateway and all of those that you're working on we would love to have you back again to talk about how those projects are going and your involvement and what you see as the most exciting things happening around those Oh, thank you. No, that would be great. I might even bore you about my space stamps. Oh, <laughs> if, no, if you're not, not bored at all. Not bored at all. <laughs> oh, man. Have you got as much space tat as I have? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a most definitely. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, that's what I like, actually. Are you into science fiction, by the way? Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, I did like that. The number of people you meet who are so into science science fiction, uh, who so work in the industry. The, yeah, it spurs the imagination. It is so heartwarming. I, I do love it. Well, next time, we would love to have you back. And we can't wait to hear about your next project, Sue. Thank you. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. It was great. Thanks, Sue. See you next time. That was a great time with Sue, like just amazing, amazing career, all the interviews she's been able to do. She's got me sold on being a journalist and having the the backstage pass. I mean, I, I would love to do that kind of work day in, day out. Oh, for sure. You know, and I was somewhat joking in, in our interview about uh, the book idea, but I mean, I think she could totally nail that with backstage oh, yeah. with Sue Nelson. For sure. Uh, the book idea, the movie idea. I mean, I don't know, Clint. Maybe we're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> Maybe we are doing the wrong thing, this, this podcast. Like, yeah, we should really push on her to go get a book deal for Backstage and, you know, a movie movie deal. Mm-hmm. She should write the yeah. screenplay for... Amelina could be in there. Like, I, I've got this whole thing pictured out. <laughs> no, Amelina going to space and then talking to Wally and then the flashback to Wally's career. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Practically written. Yeah. So, you know, if you get a chance, go to Moffin Media, check out Sue's books. I think they're, they're incredible and I can't wait to see what Sue does next. And after she completes her upcoming projects that she was a little bit secretive about, I can't wait to hear about those as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it'll be good stuff. So until next time with myself and Andrew, and maybe we'll have Chad back. Can't we'll wait to, back. Uh, to have you all back on Space in 60. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space in 60, where new space speaks. Space in 60.